Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Um, I've been able to worship here a few Sundays this summer, so we're thankful for your hospitality as we settle in to the area. And uh, I've known of Rock Creek before I knew of Rock Creek. Uh, as you heard, I've served as a senior pastor for eight years in North Carolina. And when I was there, I was looking to hire an assistant pastor, and a bunch of people told me I should talk to this guy that was about to graduate from seminary. His name was Hutch, that he was from Georgia, and that he'd be a good candidate to serve as our assistant pastor. And so I called him and, you know, told him why working for me and with me would be the best thing that ever happened to his life. And he told me he was already in serious conversations with this church on Lookout Mountain. And I said, well, I don't want to disrupt what the Lord is doing. I said, you play that out. And you call me back when there's some resolution to the matter. Uh, well, he never called me back, so <laughs> here I am. But it works out for good. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm a diehard Auburn fan. I don't know that Hutch and I could have ever worked together. Uh, and if that's a stumbling block for some of you this morning, I pray that God will help you repent and uh, <laughs> come around. No, it is good uh, to be with you. Um, I heard the prayers. I know some of you are preparing for school, and one of my favorite stories about school comes from a book written by Anne Lamont, in which she tells the story of her brother having to do a school project. And like, like myself, he waited quite uh, close to the deadline to do it. He had procrastinated for quite a bit, and the project was about birds. You know, he was supposed to identify classify a bunch of birds, put them on the poster board, take it to school, you know, do that thing that we all have to do at some point along the way. Well, he had waited quite a long time to do the project, and so here it was Sunday, and the project was due Monday. And Anne Lamott tells how she remembers the kitchen table at her home just being piled high with books. You know, there was encyclopedias, they'd gone to the library and got every, you know, book that had the word bird in it and brought it home so that he could get this project done. And she says she remembers her brother just sitting there and just bemoaning how heavy of a task it was and how he was never going to be able to get it done. He was feeling all the pressure and he had very little time to do it. And Anne Lamott talks about how her dad came up to her brother and put, put his arm around his son and said, bird by bird, buddy. Just take it bird by bird. Well, we've all been in that situation at some point or another, some of you, you really may be in that situation when it comes to a school project this year, but for all of us, we have been in a situation where the demands and the pressure of life was in our face, and we didn't feel like we had the resources to get the job done, that we didn't have the adequate supply that the, the situation necessitated. And it's the exact same sort of situation that the children of Israel are in, in Exodus 16, that they're in that moment where they're looking at years of wandering in a barren wilderness. They're looking at a growing population among them. In fact, after the 9 o'clock service this morning down the road, somebody told me that the population of Israel in Exodus 16 would be like filling every county from Nashville to this side of Tennessee with people, and that was the population. They were looking at the demands they were looking at the supply, and it was not working out. The math wasn't good. And they felt all of that pressure. This can't turn out good. But God, their Father, comes to them, and He says, day by day. 
Let's just take it day by day. You know, God didn't have to do that. He, the God of Israel is the God of heaven and earth. He could have, if He had chosen, He could have given Israel all the supplies they would need for the decades of wandering they were going to endure up in advance when they left Egypt. But that's not what He did. But what does He say? You're going to have to learn to look to me and trust in me day by day. That when you wake up in the morning, you're going to have to trust that everything that you need for that day will be there. That just enough for that day will be there, and no more except for on the sixth day. But of course, this is also true for us. This is what God still calls His children to do. That He calls us to wake up every morning to look to Him and to trust that what you need for today will be there. All the grace, all the provisions, all the strength, all the power to resist temptation, to follow Jesus, will all be there that day. You know, this is, by the way, both good news and bad news, right? It's good news, great, everything will be there when I need it. But the bad news is, I, can't, I don't get the privilege of seeing days in advance. <laughs> I see problems coming, then I realize I don't have enough grace for three days, I just got enough grace for one. <laughs> but God says, just trust me, when you get there, there will be enough grace for that day as well. You know, isn't this, uh, in fact, I think it's on the front of the bulletin, isn't this why Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Give us today, today's bread. Just give us today what we need for today. That God does not give us provisions in advance, weeks and days in advance. That when you had a child, you didn't have all the resources and wisdom and grace you're going to need for the next however many years you've got to raise them. We wish that were the case, but we have to live trusting that God's going to give us grace day by day to raise our children, to fulfill our callings in this world. And it frustrates us that we don't have everything in advance in some big storehouse out back, and we can just go get it every day. But that's not the way God has chosen to work in His world. God has chosen to work with us day by day. You know, one of the good things about this passage is the subtle reminder that God is worried about the non-quote-unquote spiritual parts of our lives, like, what are we going to eat? <laughs> that the God of the Bible is as much worried about liberating us from bondage as He is about providing for the more mundane necessities of life. That He is concerned about how things are in our homes, with our stomachs, with our health, with our physical well-being. That God is concerned with all of who we are, which is why we can pray, give us this day our daily bread. But this morning, what I want us to do is just to look at this passage and to see how it teaches us, as it taught the children of Israel years ago, what it means to look to God day by day. And two things in particular. To see that God teaches us to look up to Him day by day. And secondly, to see how God teaches us to look around day by day. To look up and then to look around. First of all, God teaches us to look up day by day. When I mean look up, not to the, the ceiling, but rather to look up to Him day by day. That the Israelites literally had to look to God. They, they were put in a wilderness with no food, no sign of fruitfulness of provisions coming from the ground. And the only place they could look to for help day by day was to God Himself. And that was the whole point. 
That was the point. That before God takes you to the land of milk and honey, He wants you to learn to look to Him for hope and for help day by day. You know, it's a good reminder for us that, you know, we don't look to our bank accounts day by day to provide for us. We don't look to our jobs to provide for us. We look to God day by day to provide for us. And He often and primarily works through things like jobs and our bank accounts and things like that. But at the end of the day, the Bible tells us, or reminds us, all good things are a gift from God. That in other words, everything we have, we should treat like manna, a surprise miracle, that we have a job to go to tomorrow, that we have food to eat today, is God bestowing to us gifts from above. And so God, give us, God gives us gifts, and we look to Him for gifts day by day. You know, really, the kind of undercurrent in this whole episode is the fact that the Israelites insult God's generosity. I don't know if you noticed, but as the passage was read, they, they keep looking back to Egypt, and they kept saying, you know, this never happened with Pharaoh. When we were under Pharaoh, we ate well. It was good food. And they insult God. They're saying, whether or not they recognized it, that Pharaoh was more gracious and generous to them than God is able to be. And so they insult the generosity of God because their heart is just like our heart. And that is, we have a very difficult time looking to God and believing that He is in His very nature a giver. You know, we mostly, whether or not we recognize it, our default mode is to think of God as a withholder, a taker rather than to think of God primarily as a giver. You know how we do this? That we often think God is a withholder, which means I've got to manipulate things out of Him. You know, I've got to perform, do something that will make Him want to give things to me. But the Bible reminds us through stories like this over and over again, God does not have to do anything against His nature to give. It is in His nature to give things to His children. God is a giver. By the way, wasn't that the temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden? What was it that Satan said to them? God is withholding from you. Yeah, you're in a garden. You're filled with all sorts of good things and vegetation and fruit and everything that you could ever want for the rest of your life, but He's still withholding from you. He's holding out on you. He knows that you're not like Him. And of course, Adam and Eve succumbed to that temptation just like we often do ourselves. And what's the whole point of this exercise that God does here in Exodus 16? What's the point? Well, He tells us the point in verse 7, where He says, you're going to wake up, and the result of all of this is going to be that you will see the glory of Jehovah. You're going to see the glory of Jehovah. That you can go to bed at night, and there be a barren wilderness around you. And when you wake up in the morning... There's going to be fruit and bread all over the ground, provisions that you need for today. This will help you to see the glory of Jehovah. You know, if there is one way to get, peop- to get somebody's attention, it is to uh, take away food from them. We all know that, right? If you've had children, like we've talked about this morning already, take away food from a child, you know, it does not turn out uh, with great results often. <laughs> but you do this as adults, Right? that you start disrupting somebody's diet patterns, it's a very painful disruption, a very painful adjustment. I was reminded of this early in my marriage. I had 
being born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, I had been raised in what I call the cream of chicken diet. Uh, everything was something with cream of chicken on it. <laughs> and my wife was wise enough to try to adjust my diet early on in our marriage. And I remember walking home one day, coming home from work and sitting down. And all, I don't really remember what she made for dinner. But what it looked like was two spinach leaves with some olive oil on top. If you want to see an adverse reaction from your husband, <laughs> try to change his diet rapidly and suddenly. <laughs> we had a discussion that evening. <laughs> because you change people's diets, you get their attention quickly. You take away things that they're accustomed to, how many times a day they're supposed to eat. Going to India, I, I learned the we eat twice a day and we said we eat three times a day. And that was a little adjustment whenever time I visit there. Because we get used to certain patterns of eating and even certain substance to eat. And when those are taken away from us, they reveal truly uh, how we look at life. And this is true for the Israelites here. In Exodus 16, they even confess, look, we've had a stable diet for hundreds of years down in Egypt, and now we come out here and you're going to kill us all. And of course God says, yes, I understand. When you look around, you don't see adequate supply. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Wake up in the morning, and you'll see everything you need. Everything you need for that day. Just wake up and trust that I will provide for you day by day. You know, there is a little bit of a psychology in this story, a little bit about how humans work. Because did you notice that the children of Israel never complain against God in this story directly? What do they do? They always voice their complaints to Moses and Aaron. You did this. You, Moses and Aaron, you brought us out here. Some people might call that misplaced blame. That in other words, they don't have the guts to complain to God himself. And so they direct their anger and angst towards his servants. By the way, we do this all the time, don't we? We're angry with how things worked out at work today, how things worked out at home today. But we don't take our anger out against God. We don't have the guts to do that. And so we misplace our blame as well on those around us who serve us. But Moses and Aaron, they realize that the true issue is not with them. The true issue is with God. And this is why they tell the people that they are going to see the glory of Jehovah as He provides day by day. By the way, this is not just a lesson confined to the Old Testament. When you get to the New Testament, what does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Why are you people so obsessed with, do you have enough money to buy clothes? Why are you people so obsessed about how much is in your account? What does he say? Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added unto you. Look up. All your attention is inward focused. It's downward focused. Look to me and everything else will just take care of itself. Do you come to me believing that I am a giver and the God of all things, I will not withhold from you. And so the Bible reminds us that it is right to pray to God, give us this day our daily bread. It is right to pray to God about our money, our food, our kids, our health, and these sorts of things. But it is only right to pray to Him, to seek His face, to look to Him as the God who graciously gives to his children. But there's something else about this story I want to point out, and that is not only does it teach us to look up day by day, but also they had to do something else. Literally, 
They had to look around day by day. And this also the Bible commends to us. That by look around, what we mean is this. That if, if you really want to believe that God is a giver, don't just look up to Him and meditate on Him, but actually just examine your own life and you will quickly discover that God has been gracious to give so many things to us. Let's be reminded where we are in the story of Exodus 16. That the, just a chapter previous... The people of Israel have been rescued out of Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea. We are two months and 15 days removed from the Israelites having seen Pharaoh's armies vanquished in the Red Sea when this happens. It doesn't take long for us to get upset about how life is working out, even after we've seen the amazing power of God in our lives. But all they had to do was to look around at themselves, see their dry feet, to see the flocks and the herds and the gold and the silver that they had carried with them out of Egypt to be reminded, you know what, God can provide. God does provide. That God is gracious. Look, we have things that didn't belong to us. They belong to the Egyptians and now they're ours. Our God, Jehovah, is gracious and will provide. And when you and I, this week, are having one of those moments like Anne Lamott's brother when we feel like life is pressing in, there's not enough here, the Bible reminds us, just take a step back and look around at your life and be reminded of all the good things that God surrounded you with. That you're not without. That God has been gracious to give you health and food and clothing and shelter and so many things. That we we act like we have nothing. And the Bible says, just take a second and step back and look around and you'll see the flocks and herds and gold and silver that God has blessed you with over the years. Look around and you'll be reminded that you can live day by day and trust in God to provide. You know, A.W. Pink is a pastor from previous century and he tells the story about having gone to one of uh, the homes of his church members. This was an older woman, uh, a widow, and he got to her home and he was visiting with her and there on her coffee table was her Bible, her Bible that she had marked up over the years and highlighted those key verses and made notations in the margin. And he began to look through the Bible and he kept noticing these two letters kept appearing in the margin over and over again. And they were T-P, T-P, over and over again throughout the pages of the Bible. And so finally, A.W. Pink asked the woman out of curiosity, "What what is this? And she said, that means tried and proven, tried and proven. She said, this is when I go back to verses and I can remember moments where God showed he was faithful in times of trial in my life. And when I go back to those verses, I write T.P., tried and proven. You know, if there was anyone in the world who could say about God that he has been tried and proven faithful, it was the Israelites. It was the Israelites that had been sold into slavery, spent hundreds of years in slavery, seen all sorts of trials come their way, and yet now they walked out of Egypt with dry feet and full pantry of goods and resources God had blessed them with. That if any people in the world, they could have looked around and testified how God was tried and proven faithful. You know, Frank Barker is the founding pastor of a PCA congregation in Birmingham called Browwood Presbyterian Church. And he often tells the story of the green chair. That in the early days of Broadwood Presbyterian Church, they were a church plant meeting in a strip mall in Birmingham. That the men 
would get together on Saturday mornings to pray for this young church plant, that God would get it going. And what their prayer, Frank Barker says, was that God, please provide us enough people at worship tomorrow that we have to bring out the green chairs. That they kept the green chairs kind of in the back. They, they were kind of for the nursery in the back. But if, if they had enough people, they had to bring them out. And so their prayer every Saturday was, help us to bring out the green chairs. And, of course, what kept happening was Sunday after Sunday, they found themselves having to bring out the green chairs. And you know what? That to this day, in Frank Barker's office, is a green chair. That he keeps that green chair there as a reminder of those days when... You didn't really know how things were going to turn out when there was a lot of risk, a lot of worry. That he keeps that green chair there as a reminder of God's faithfulness and generosity to him over the years. And that's what actually God is going to make the Israelites do. That we, don't, we didn't read this far in our passage, but if you go on in chapter 16, you know what God tells them? Not only do I want you to go around and collect manna, I want you to take a mason jar... I want you to grab some manna. I want you to put it in that jar. I never want you to touch it. I just want you to carry the jar around. And of course, you know what God was doing, right? But God says, I want this to be a continual reminder to you that I can do, I can provide for you in ways that you never have expected. And so every day these Israelites, as they traveled, took those, they weren't mason jars, you know, they were something else. But they took these mason jars with them as a reminder of what God had done and how God had provided. Now, you may not have a green chair or a mason jar in your home, but you have something in your life that you can look back to and be reminded of God's faithfulness over the years. That we can all look and we can see God's graciousness to us at certain points in life that we can look to in times of trial to be reminded He was gracious then, He'll be gracious to us today and when we wake up tomorrow. You know, by the way, what is the Israelites here, you could say, are a case study in worry, anxiety. Uh, we, we have enough food for today, but what about tomorrow? What's going to happen then? And, of course, God says, you're, you're living in a false future. When you wake up tomorrow, I'll tell you what's going to be there. Me. <laughs> I'll be there. And you'll have exactly what you need tomorrow and the day after. Of course, God is a giver. The Bible reminds us over and over again. But the problem is not that God is a giver. The problem is with us. And that is that we want God to give us everything in advance. Help us to see a storehouse out back where we can know everything is there that we'll ever need in life. But that's not the way God has chosen to work. Financially, spiritually, and otherwise. That He gives us the grace and the goods that we need day by day. You know, in fact, there's a, a, a wise saying in the book of Proverbs about this. In the book of Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Give me the food, it says, that is needful for me today. You know, I said earlier, if there was anybody in the world who could say that God's faithfulness and generosity had been tried and proven over and over. It was the people of Israel. But you know, the people in the history of the world who have every reason to believe in the faithfulness and generosity of God are us who sit on this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
that whenever we find ourselves in those moments like Anne Lamott's brother and like the children of Israel, where we're looking at the demands and we're looking at the resources and we grow worried and we grow anxious, that all we have to do, the Bible says, is look to the cross of Jesus Christ. That if ever we need to be reminded that God is a giver, that we just look to the cross and have all of our doubts and unbelief chased away. Because the cross reminds us that it is in the very nature of our Father to give. To give. In fact, isn't that what Paul says in Romans chapter 8? That what shall, they, what, shall, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? The Bible says, do you struggle with this? Do you struggle with the idea that God is a giver? Do you really believe that God is a withholder, that He's holding out on you like Satan tempted Adam and Eve? The Bible says if you want to chase that temptation and that doubt and that worry away, just look to the cross. Just look at the cross. God is a giver. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. That instead of giving us what we deserve on account of our sins, He gives us the most precious gift that He has. He gives us the gift of His Son. That, that through His life, we have life. and His death and resurrection, we conquer death itself. And that if we ever need to be assured that God is a giver, that He is generous and faithful, that we can just look at the cross. You know, by the way, wasn't it that belief that allowed Jesus to go to the cross? That Jesus went to the cross, we don't know how certain at times that He could reconcile things, but He was willing to go to death because He knew His Father to such a degree that His Father was a giver, that His Father was not a taker. And of course, Jesus came to taste of the, that belief on the third day when He was raised from the dead, and He was given new life. At the heart of the gospel is this, God is a giver. That that is the good news, that the God of the Bible that we're all afraid is withholding things, keeping things back, that has to be conjoled and manipulated by us, is a false God. It's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a giver who says, just come and ask. You have need of something? Just come and ask, believing I graciously give things to my children. That's who I am. You know, by the way, you know, we're in the NFL season coming up here soon, which means we'll be seeing the posters with John 3.16 in the end zone here soon. But we always have to be reminded of what that verse says. You know, for God so loved the world that He gave. That He gave. That it's in the very nature of God to give. And so this morning, I can guarantee you a few things. I can guarantee you that either this week or at least in a month's time, you're going to find yourself in the situation similar to that of the Israelites, similar to that of Anne Lamott's brother, that you're going to have pressures of life, you're going to have demands of life weighing down on you, and you're going to be tempted to think to yourself, I don't have what is needed to get through this situation. I don't have the spiritual stamina, maybe even the physical resources I need for this situation. And the Bible this morning tells us that in those moments, look up 
and be reminded of who the God of the Bible is, the God of heaven and earth. Look around at all the ways that He has graciously provided over the years and look to the cross and be assured that your Father is a giver. He has not spared His own Son and He will not spare anything when it comes to providing for us His children. Pray with me.